Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Meadow, Schmelk, you. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter if you want to discuss Giants football via social media. That's how you do it. It's all brought to you by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. Well, you heard from Paul and Lance yesterday talking about the Super Bowl. I'm not going to break down the game uh, play-by-play here. That's disappointing. Wow, you're starting, anyway, you're starting early, huh? <laughs> I just thought I'd throw hey, that out. Hey, yeah. hey, hey, Dan, can we get his mic turned <laughs> off again? <laughs> can we, can, can, no, the mute button's not functioning today. Uh, too I bad. You. Yeah. I, I wish it was. Yeah. I'm uh, sure of that. <laughs> big picture things, Lance. And I just want to talk, and I wrote about this in on um, Cover 3, which which hit Giants.com the other day. I know other people that wrote about it, too. I know. Yeah. But I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna talk about guess. the part of the game okay. that I wrote okay. about. I'm all ears. Man, I really don't like you sometimes. <laughs> Wait, um, <laughs> I'm at the edge of my seat. Yes, this is I know. Be a great show, people. Well, there right, we go. <laughs> We're having fun already. Um, the way the Patriots are like chameleons and can just change the way they play, not only from season to season, but from game to game. And I think offensively, we saw the shift throughout the year where the Patriots did not play this year like they had in any year before, where they used a fullback. What was the classic Patriot you know, formation? Brady, shotgun, empty backfield, five wide. That's what they always did. They spread the field, give them a lot of easy reads, get, out of the, get rid of the ball quick, and that's what they did. This year, they changed everything. They went fullback, power running game, old school wham, traps, power, guards pulling, old school 90s football. They can win that way. And Belichick, more than any other coach, and I've got to give Josh McDaniels credit too, because he has a hand in the offense, right? The way they're able to figure out what the best identity of their team is year in, year out, and get the players to buy into it. And this is something Belichick said. I'm not sure if you watched his interview with Cower and Sims on the pregame show. It was actually, uh, the, I only missed caught the second half of it, but it was very good. The roundtable discussion. That yeah, happened. and he says... A lot of the times, the players get really confused. And they're like, I don't understand. We did this last year, and it worked. Why are we getting away from it? But the way they figure out what the best version of themselves is and get the players to buy into it, no other coach in the league can do that. And I don't know if it's because they're stubborn, they just want to play the way they know how to play, or whatever the reason is. Now, I think the Giants did that this year when they changed the way they played midseason. Going to more running and play action. So I think you actually saw that from the Giants this year a little bit. But their ability to do that consistently to me is just mind-boggling. No, you're right. You have most coaches that I think have a scheme and a philosophy, John, and then they just tweak it here or there for their matchups. But they're like, this is our system, and the players are going to fit into our system. Whereas I think on the flip side, Belichick's the type of coach that says, yeah, we have concepts, we have themes, we have schemes, but if I feel like we've got to revamp it because I don't think it'll work effectively in a different matchup, he's going to change it on the fly. But the players have to buy into that too. Right. You know, that, that's an important thing. I don't want to take anything away from Belichick, but I don't think the players get enough credit that they're able to evolve week to week and realize, hey, I've got to study a little bit more because it's not like other teams yeah. I've been with, John, where you just you learn the scheme at the beginning of the season in training camp, and then maybe they install a few new things here and there. And that's why I think the Patriots only try to get certain types of players that they know can do things like that, that are mentally able to, to, to handle that. And I go back to a story that I've told on the air many times that Jonathan Casillas told us 
when he got traded midseason to the Patriots, it was in the trade with the, I think, the Bucks, right, when they sent that tight yeah. end and he went the other way. Uh, right, I think, was the tight end's name. I don't remember. You I don't, may be right. Not, not important. No, thank you. Uh, <laughs> we don't give out complimentary. Yeah. And you also did a nice pun there. You didn't even notice it. Yeah, so but, I'm well aware yeah, of that. Yeah. Well aware. Um, thank so, you. I found myself yeah, on the back. Yeah, no, no problem. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> God. Um, and Casillas, getting back to the point, uh, basically said when he got there, guys, look, I want to see what I've missed. Can you give me a defensive playbook? So I can, you know, learn, take it home, do extra work and study. They go, nah, there's really no point. He goes, what do you mean? You got to have basic things from training camp that, that are uh, the basis of what you do. They go, honestly, based on who we're playing, our defensive game plan is so different week to week, depending on the opponent. We basically install everything from scratch every week. So it's really not going to do you any good. Good luck. And he, and he's like, I, I was incredulous. And I said, no, guys, just give me something. They're like, we don't really have anything to give you. Because it changes every week. And it just shows, like you said, the type of players that they look for that can handle that. And just the coach's willingness to change and be different. And I think one of the reasons that the players buy into it there, Lance, and are able to do it, it's because it's Belichick. Why wouldn't you listen to that of guy? Of course, you should trust him. Who else can sustain in the salary cap era this amount of greatness over 18 seasons. I mean, 18 seasons, Lance. Yeah, they've had some down years in the middle. But double-digit AFC Championship games, nine Super Bowls? Who wouldn't trust this guy? And I think that's maybe why, Lance, when these coordinators leave the Patriots, that's the thing that they're missing. They don't have that adaptability that Belichick has. And I, it's just so unique to him. I just don't see it anywhere else in the league. Well, I think also part of being that chameleon that you labeled the team, and I think that's a good term, is it challenges the players every week. I think it's a form of motivation. Some guys, you know, it gets stale after you're six, seven weeks into a season, whereas you know if you're a Patriots player, just as you shared the story with Jonathan Casillas, every week you're looking forward to something completely new and original that now you've got to delve into from a playbook standpoint. And I think that keeps players, you know, at the edge of their seats. So I, that's another coaching tool I think that Belichick utilizes. He may not mean to do that, but I think it's a product of him implementing a new game plan every single week. And when coaches have gone off on their own, I think that they try to adopt the principles that Belichick does. But to your point, the guy is not in the room anymore Yeah, that you can consult with every week, right? You know, you're Matt Patricia, you're with the Lions this year, and you've implemented some good game plans. I mean, they even beat the Patriots, if you remember, earlier this season. But he can't swing by Belichick's office and say, you know what, let me run this by you, coach. This is what I'm thinking about doing on defense. And then Belichick looks things over, you know, like a good editor that a writer has. That's what Belichick is, I think, for a lot of these assistants. When you don't have him around anymore, now who do you lean on? I think that's the biggest challenge for a lot of these assistants. Yeah, and I wonder how much he takes control in situations like that, too. You know, how much is he taking the lead on, look, I saw this this week, I want you to implement this. Offensively and defensively, I'm sure he's involved in everything. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. I think... While the Dolphins probably sitting at home right now thrilled that they have Brian Flores, and they should be, the job he did as the defensive coordinator this year. And by the way, the Patriots' defense this year is so much better than it was last year under Patricia. It's a, it, it's a different stratosphere, okay? So let's get that straight first. But I'm sure they're also thinking, you know, how much is Flores just implementing what Belichick's game planning? I don't know the answer to that. Nobody knows the answer to that except for Bill Belichick and Flores. 
That doesn't mean they shouldn't have hired him, and I think it's a really good hire, and I don't think Flores' name got mentioned once during the Super Bowl, which, by the way, it did not. is a travesty. And I think Romo's phenomenal. I think he's the best analyst in the league, but the fact that he kept mentioning Wade Phillips and didn't mention Flores by name, he did mention the Patriots' defense a lot, but not the coordinator by name. I think that was a mistake, and I think that deserves criticism, especially since he's was everyone knew he was going to be a head coach anyway. Um, but I think I think it's just really fascinating when you look at the Belichick tree and you try to figure out how much is it the coordinators, how much is it Belichick, especially in the defensive side of the ball, which is obviously Belichick's expertise. Yeah, it's the give and take between both. I, I have a feeling that Belichick does a nice job delegating responsibility. I agree with that. Especially, but, remember, he's in charge of personnel too, so he has a lot of other stuff on his I mean, plate. There's only so much that he can organize and orchestrate, but I also think that he doesn't shy away from middle of the game, hey— We've got to scratch this. Let's retool and let's go back to the drawing board. Flores, I think part of the reason why he didn't get enough credit is because he technically does not have the defensive coordinator label. He is the pseudo-defensive coordinator, John, but he does call the plays. But if you go to even the Patriots' website, he's not listed as the defensive coordinator. And what I is remember, he listed as? I don't know exactly what his label is. I'll check it's it out right question. now. Go check ahead. I'll what check it. is it. on the website. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether you know it's associate coach associate head coach maybe something like that defense whatever it may be but Belichick's done this before I don't remember who (laughs) left previously maybe it was Romeo Cornell and then he didn't automatically replace Romeo Cornell because I don't think Matt Patricia took over as defensive coordinator immediately he was on staff I'll tell you what he didn't have the title just linebackers coach there you go so wow you know what the Patriots have one of the smallest coaching staffs I've ever seen because they don't have assistance to an assistant coach. They have McDaniels, who's the OC, and the quarterback's coach. Which they have an assistant quarterback's coach, a running back, a wide receiver, and a tight end. No assistant offensive line. Yep. No assist. No assistant, you know. They only have four defensive coaches. Line, corners, safeties, linebackers. No assistant defensive line coach, assistant linebackers coach. That's old school. You know, teams have so many coaches now. Oh, yeah. That's a small, small group. I'm actually surprised that he's listed as linebackers yeah. coach. So, you I, know I what? I thought he would have had. That's what I thought title. it was, but I don't want to say it because it seems so weird that that's yeah. all it was going to be. But yeah, that's all he is. Yeah. So that's, I think, part of the reason, you know, when you don't have the title, people I shy guess. away. But it's well known that he was the defensive play caller throughout the season. That was well established. Even Belichick had admitted that. So I don't think that, you know, we needed him to have a label to get enough respect. Flores, to me, I, I happened to watch the Dolphins' introductory press oh, conference. Oh, did you? Yeah. This is a guy that, he's not about cliches, which is extremely refreshing. Really? It's funny. Somebody told he me that there, say, were, there was a lot of cliches in the press conference, like culture, hard work. Well, no, he, other, he, blah, 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 blah. but he mentioned it towards the tail end. He threw out one or two cliches, but he mentioned it. It wasn't like he was selling it. I got he you. said, listen, I know we hear about all these cliches over and over again, but he didn't come out and say, we're going to revamp the Dolphins organization and we're going to win division title. No promises, no BS, no nothing. But he also claimed, which I thought was interesting, he said when he interviewed for other jobs, he went to them and said, if you don't agree with my culture or my game plan, you might as well not hire me. You know, this wasn't him going out there and campaigning and getting down on his hands and knees and kissing tushes and babies, okay? He was straight line saying, if it's not a good fit, we don't need to continue this conversation. smart. And I think that at least is him being up front. But this is a guy, I don't think enough people understand, you know, he came from like a scouting assistant when he joined the organization in 2004. 
and he's working 20-hour days. He's getting paid nothing. He's sleeping on air mattresses. And he must have had every single position known to man, John, in that Patriots organization. I mean, they moved him every which way. He was a pro scout. He was a college scout, assistant special teams coach. Want me to read it for you? I can tell you what it was. It's unreal. 2011 defensive assistant, 2010 offensive assistant special teams coach. He joined the coaching staff as a coaching assistant in 2008. That means that's quality control. Yep. And he, in 2004, he was a scouting assistant and assigned to pro scouting duties prior to 2006. So, yeah, he's worked in every aspect of that organization. You're right. Which is why I think that this is a guy that you don't have to question about. He feels entitled, and he's been there, and he's done that. And the, the other thing I like about it, he has seen the operation of a team, John, from every yeah. which angle. So I think he'll understand the importance of delegating and the importance of knowing the guys on the lower levels of the coaching staff, how integral they are to the success of the franchise. Now, I'm not saying that the Dolphins are going to turn things around and knock off the Patriots, but I'm expecting this to be a hard-fought competitive team that he's going to field. And I do wish him the best success. On a personal note, I know his brother. His brother actually has worked for Columbia for many years oh, really? with the football program. Really nice guy. Good family. So, I'm, and like by I said, the way, personally, a- I'm wishing him the best. And I, I'm making that clear. I'm not talking him up just for the sake of talking him up. I do know members of his family. And I, I, I think this is a really great story that he's finally rose this high. Yeah, I had another thing, too. And this is much to Lance and I's delight. I didn't realize he was a Brooklyn guy. He is? Yeah. He went to Poly Prep. Went to Poly Prep. Absolutely. And he was raised in a Brownsville, he and his family. I yeah. didn't know that. Good for him. Yeah. I will be a closet Dolphins fan. Yeah, I mean, now. it's it's a great story, but I, I just like how he handles himself. And uh, I, I think the Dolphins hired themselves. You know why I, I like this hire? Uh, putting personal connections aside. It's the fact that what I'm tired of seeing in NFL circles, John, and I don't know how you feel, the fascination with the creative play caller seems to be the priority of franchises and owners. Leadership. Honing the craft and honing your players and making sure, you know, things that to me scream Tom Coughlin are not being prioritized. Or, or even Bill Parcells, Or for Bill that Parcells matter. and all those guys yeah. who, you didn't think of them as, oh, they're unbelievable in terms of their play calling and the creativity. Yeah. It's the bottom mm-hmm. line is they get guys to run through brick walls for them. That's right. what I want in a head coach. Yeah. That's what I think Flores brings to the table. Hey, look, and we've talked about this before, Lance. To me... You separate the head coaching duties in two ways. You have the tactical part of the head coach hire, and that's the part that you're talking about that you're tired of, the play calling, how he changes the offense. Then you have the strategic and more CEO role of the head coach, which is the stuff that you think they should be focused on more. And I I do think the first part of that, and, you know, setting a culture as part of that, is, is something that people... I think now, especially looking at things like analytics a lot, where people are more worried about the numbers and those types of things that people do overlook. My last question on the Flores things I think is interesting. Did you sense, because we've seen this with Mangini, with McDaniels, even with Patricia, was he doing like the Belichick like press conference, I'm trying to act like Bill Belichick thing, because I hate when people try to act like somebody <laughs> That's a great not. question. I, I didn't even think about that until you brought that up. No, he was very forthcoming with 
nice. answering questions. I like it. it. Didn't necessarily lay out all the drama in New England, but no, he gave you a solid answer. It wasn't like, we'll see what happens. Isn't that the only thing that he didn't provide great details in, and I don't blame him, is he was pressed a lot about his coaching staff, well, but I mean, you can't they, they've got yet. nothing to no, announce at this point. So what's he going to say? No, other than that, I, I thought he was very open with uh, answering the question. So I didn't get that sense well, at all. As is evidence right here, people from Brooklyn do like to talk. So Yes, 100%. <laughs> absolutely. Um, one more thing on the Super Bowl for me, bigger picture thing besides the Patriot part of it. The Rams part of it, boy, it sure looked like the Patriots knew exactly what the Rams route combinations were going to be, didn't it? And I know McVay is great, and he has done a lot, but it looks like the Patriots caught up a lot to what they were trying to do, and I think they did a lot of what the Bears tried to do at the end of the year, and unlike what the Rams were able to do against Dallas, which was run the ball down their throats and win that way, they weren't able to do that against the Patriots. The Patriots were able to stop the run and do what they did in in the back seven, stopping their passing game. I thought the Patriots rushing five guys on nearly every play kind of took the Rams' offensive line for a loop, and that's why there was a lot of pressure on Jared Goff. I thought Goff made two or three or four maybe even wonderful, really accurate throws into tight windows over the course of the game. But otherwise, he looked awfully indecisive back there when he dropped back. A lot of tapping the ball, looking around. And I think we saw a couple points at the end of the year where teams figured out what McVay was trying to do, and we took him a little bit of while to adjust out of that, you know what I mean? And change and fix things midstream or even from game to game. They had a couple games in a row where they struggled offensively. I think they played the Vikings and Bears back-to-back weeks, maybe something like that. Oh, they like played that. the Bears. They played the Eagles. Eagles, Those that was the other one. Losses. Thank you. That was the Eagles yeah, one. That Philly was the other put one. a lot Thank of pressure you. on him, too. Correct. And and I think, look, McVay's an excellent coach. He's a great offensive mind. He's going to be very successful for a long time. But remember, he's still young. He hasn't been doing this a long time. He wasn't even a play caller for a long time before he got the Rams job. Yeah, with the Redskins. Exactly. So, I think he's still figuring some of this stuff out. And you know what? That's okay. People don't just show up in Super Bowls and win their first time. It takes a couple chances sometimes. Not everybody, you know, is Bill Parcells, get to your first Super Bowl and win. You know, sometimes it takes a couple goes to to figure out how to win in these big spots. So, you know, I know a lot of people, and, and I think, People got too excited too quick on the McVay stuff. And I think maybe this will settle down a little bit. I still think he's an excellent coach. I do too. But there are things that he has to work on and continue to get better and improve. You can never be static in the league, Lance. If you're static, you fail. And from what I know about Sean McVay, he's not one to be static. And I think he's going to figure it out. Yeah, I would agree with you. There are a few things, though, that I'm tired of hearing in terms of the overreaction to him losing. Number one, you know, oh, well, he was overrated. And the Rams were basically selling us a can of BS. And they weren't what they were made out to be. Listen, the Patriots just outcoached them and outplayed them. And there's nothing wrong with that. We've seen other mm-hmm. tremendous offenses, John, get slowed down. So I don't think this is necessarily telling the entire script of Sean McVay. I will say you, this, though, too. They did struggle against the Saints the week prior, especially in the first did, half. Yes, too. but you know what? The Saints, again, have a good defense. And I don't think that defensive unit got enough mm-hmm. credit. And it's about adjustments, to your point. While he hasn't been a head coach for a very long time, I do think, though, the experience is not lacking. Listen, he's been around the family of coaches 
coaches. I mean, his grandfather was the coach here with the New York Giants. I know he didn't necessarily have a successful tenure, but we're talking about a guy (laughs) that has been around football, and he was also a college coach. So, you know, I don't want to hear that he hasn't been exposed. He's just going to have to learn from his lessons. The other thing that I'm tired of hearing is, oh, well, don't worry about Sean McVay. He's going to get back there plenty of times. Oh, yeah, you have a crystal ball? No, you don't know that. Don't you hear that all the time? Do you you get tired of that? And, and, And you know who probably wants to murder people every time they say it? Go ask Dan Marino. Yeah, about getting back well, to the Super Bowl after you get there as a as a young player. He never got back. How do you know that a young guy like that is going to have multiple Super Bowl appearances? I mean, the how many people times talk is if oh yeah, it's going to happen five or six more times. Well, how many times did we hear that after the Packers meal with Aaron Rodgers? Oh, he'll be back. He'll have a chance to win multiple Super Bowls. Well, how many times has he been back since then? Zippo. Yeah, Zippo. So I don't want to hear that anymore. But this is a life learning experience for Sean McVay. I mean, he admitted that he was outcoached and outperformed on many different levels. And boy, boy, was he personally accountable after that game or what? Yeah, he said, "Listen, the buck stops with me." Uh, he wasn't leaving any door open to blame the players. I mean, yeah. Jared Goff also took responsibility too. I thought the players handled themselves very well across the board after the game. Uh, there was no finger pointing. I mean, they knew that they went up against a team that pretty much. Kick their butt. Yeah, they kicked their butt. In every facet. I I agree with you. I think that the Patriots stopping the running game is not talked enough about because they did get a lot of pressure on Goff, and the secondary played a good game, contested a lot of balls, but the Rams only ran the ball 18 times. And if I'm Belichick— Under four yards per carry. If I'm Belichick, and I said this on yesterday's program, I'm going into that game saying, Jared Goff doesn't have a lot of experience. This is a game I want him to throw 40, 45 times. And they have Brandon Cooks, but look, Robert Woods is good. He's not great. You know, Reynolds is fine. He's, you know, it's not like they're running Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster out there. Yeah, well, I think the injury to Cooper Cup hurt the team. And Absolutely. It's not being talked enough mm-hmm. about. Sure. And, you know, well, the Rams are so deep. How can you say it's the loss of one player? But Cup was that intermediate guy, John. Big third down guy. Yeah, and he mm-hmm. was that security blanket for Goff. So when you remove him from the table, yes, it does change the dynamics of the receiver. And, court. by the way, excellent blocker in the run game. Yeah, that's another don't good point. realize. They yeah. like to use him as that almost, almost like a second tight end in their 11 personnel groups. And... Without him there, it changed things. What do you think is the deal with Gurley? Do you think he's still banged up? Do you think that he just ran out of gas? Do you think they just like C.J. Anderson? Do you think teams figured out the run? Just why do you think it just fell off a table the way they did? And they decided to, look, what are you saving the guy for in the Super Bowl? Yeah, okay? if he needs surgery after the season, yeah. he gets surgery. I'm with you there. That's why the injury narrative doesn't really add up because what are you saving him? What difference does it make? I think it's what C.J. Anderson did towards the latter part of the season and sort of pressing upon them, hey, we need to find a way to get him on the field, and sometimes you overthink things. I think that was part of it. And I I do think that while Todd Gurley's not letting it on to the media, I do think that he was still limited in some capacity. I agree with that. Now, somebody told me that I didn't see this. I don't know if you saw this, and not that I care about it. There was some graphic on social media about the fastest guys in the Super Bowl in the game. They were measuring the speed, and Gurley was running faster than anybody else. So they're like, well, how's he hurt? Listen, Gurley at 75% can still be faster and than half the league. running straight ahead is different than different changing cutting. direction. No, that's an excellent point, Very too. different. So I do think there was something that was still lingering with Gurley during the postseason. And I also think that they were content with what C.J. Anderson brought to the table. Because in fairness, he was productive. No, he was. So I figured that they felt, all right, we give him a one-two punch. We give him different looks. We'll still be effective. And here's why I think something was wrong, though. I get using him in the run game. Anderson. 
Gurley was such a good receiver for them. Well, that's what they were missing. How yeah. many targets did he even get in the postseason, let alone the, the, the just the Super Bowl? I mean, I'm curious. I feel like he was yeah. rarely targeted during these games. I'll bring up his I, game I really log. do. I mean, clearly he was not in the Super Bowl. He only had one catch for negative one yard. And two targets. And that was obviously a big part of the game plan during the course of the regular season. That's why guys like Zeke and Todd Gurley – you know, are such versatile backs. Let's see, the postseason. In terms of receiving, he had no more than two receptions in any game. And no, and he had seven targets seven over Seven targets, games. four catches. That's nothing. And then you look at, let's see, in the regular season, he had 59 catches and 81 targets. And that's missing games, by the way. How many games did he miss? Three? Uh, let's see. His total games played, 13. He missed three. Yeah, missed three games. So no, I'm, I'm sorry, he played 14. He missed two. Right. 14 games. Yeah, I looked at the wrong column. Just saying. Yeah, he was heavily involved in that. Just like I was startled, it didn't backfire, that James White was barely utilized. I yeah. thought that would have been a guy that they would have leaned heavily on. And the other thing that confused me, too, because I thought he ran so well on the first drive, they stopped using Sony Michelle on first downs. And we yeah, saw a lot Rex of Burkhead. Burkhead. Correct, yeah. And I thought Michelle was running the ball wonderfully. That's, I found that odd, too. But that, that that's the Patriots, that's though. Belichick. I'm sure they had some type of obscure package or something they saw on film or some type of analytic that told them Burkhead would be good for these specific plays in this specific quarter or something like that. Because for the life of me, Michelle looks like a much better runner between the tackles. He's stronger. He falls forward more. I couldn't understand why they were using Burkhead on first down. A lot of those runs, it confused me. Yeah, that was baffling to me. And the other reason why is I've watched the Rams a lot this season, and the one consistent issue that I've seen, especially down the stretch when you were talking about those losses, they've had trouble defending running backs out of the backfield. Tariq Cohen in that Bears game did a lot of the heavy lifting. The way that the Eagles manufactured yardage with their backs, I thought Belichick's probably saying to himself, I got the personnel, we're going to— Bring James White out of the backfield. We're going to force linebackers and safeties to match up with him, and let's see if those guys can tackle him. And, hey, it worked out. So I'm going to be the last one to uh, tell Belichick he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. But uh, that was a part of the game plan I was expecting, and they did not lean on that at all. There was maybe a few possessions here or there yeah. where they targeted White, but not nearly as much as I was anticipating. And Julian Edelman was great. Um, had, yeah. a, had a great game. They couldn't cover him. I thought Romo was really good kind of discussing that and talking about how effective he was. And when they needed the big plays on that game, what turned out to be the game-winning drive, Gronkowski one-on-one. Huge catch. And you, two of them. You yeah. had the wheel route, too, the first play of that Correct. drive. But the one that set him up right in the red yeah. zone. Was Great huge. throw in between three defenders. Good catch by Gronkowski. And they're just able to set up those one-on-one matchups. And all they need is that one one-on-one matchup. They know they can win, and they'll get the ball to that player. Well, if you remember, they did a similar game plan in the AFC Championship game yeah, when sure. Gronkowski got lined up with Eric Berry, and Gronkowski caught that pass up the left sideline. That was a huge play that helped continue the drive. So they've used Gronk in big spots, to your point. He's come through. And the other big play that deserves a lot of credit is Jason McCourty hustling his behind into the back of the end zone and preventing Brandon Cooks from hauling that in. And boy, that was a late throw, though, man. It was a late it throw. It was a late throw. But it throw. still was a hell of an effort by Jason Absolutely. McCourty. Whether it was late or not, Absolutely. there was a lot of distance he had to cover. So, And that wasn't his responsibility either, which correct. makes it an even it's better more play. of a reason. And you know what? Mm-hmm. That's why experience is important, John, what you just laid out. 
even though it wasn't his assignment, he had the whereabouts yeah. and the sense to say, hey, I've got to make up for a missed assignment for my teammate. And that could have very well been the difference between winning and losing the Super Bowl right now. And you feel like that's just the type of play a Patriot makes. It, you know, it's it, it's like Jeter with the toss play against the A's, right? Where he's not necessarily supposed to be there, but he goes the extra mile and does the extra thing. That's the same type of play that is. Save the touchdown, save the run. Same deal. Yeah. And, man. I'll tell you, I know people hated the game. Oh, it's so boring. To me, if it's a close game and the game's in doubt at the end of the contest, I'm happy. That's all I'm asking for. And we got a competitive game. Exactly. But I will say this. Even though it was a one-score game late, the Patriots really dominated that game. They kicked the Rams' butt. Total yardage. The Rams punted, what, eight straight times to start the game? They had three first downs at halftime, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was pulling teeth. And look, the Patriots missed the field goal. They had the interception by Brady in the red zone. Those things don't happen. You're looking at a you're looking at a twenty to three route here. Twenty three, twenty four, three route here. So the Patriots kicked the Rams butts. The thirteen three score does not indicate that. What was the total yardage at the end of the game? At four hundred seven for the Patriots, two sixty for the Rams. And the Rams got the two sixty only at the end of the game. They were way below that for Yeah, a lot of, of those big plays came on that final drive. Both teams struggled on third <laughs> down, which is not necessarily a surprise. And then you look at the rushing yardage. New England nearly had over 100 rushing yards, more so than the Rams. Rams had more penalties and time of possession. Yeah. New England had the ball for about seven more minutes. They wore down that defense. I thought the officials were consistent. They let them play on both sides. They allowed the defensive backs to be very physical and very aggressive. They weren't blowing the whistle, which is fine. As long as you're calling it both ways, consistent. I'm okay with that. That's cool. And they weren't the story, which I thought was, was nice. Which is fine. Yeah, it was a defensive, grinded-out type of game. We've seen a number of them, maybe not as consistent as people would want, but to me it was refreshing. It was refreshing yeah. to see a team go out there, play well-disciplined defense, lock down a really good offense, and, and win a football game. Jeff Fiegel's favorite Super Bowl of all time well, with all the I punts. Mean, with all the punting? Absolutely. Oh, my God. He yeah. must have been in punter well, head. And then the punter, Johnny Hecker, setting the new Super Bowl record for the longest punt, too. I mean, it had special teams written all and over. And he actually did a coffin corner, too. He kicked it out of bounds inside the 20. Now, we didn't get it inside the 10. I'm sure Fiegel's was disappointed by that. It went out of bounds yes. like the 18. Well, but can't nevertheless, all the criteria. best Super Bowl ever. For Jeff Fields. I look forward to talking to him about that. Well, this is the type on, of game that if you're a special teams player, you point yeah. to see we're important too. Yeah, and Cordero Patterson well. had a couple big kick returns too to put him in good field position. So, anyway, let's get to your calls at 201-939-4513. It's all brought to you by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. And, of course, guys, Giants calls are always welcome. I just figured one more day I didn't get my take on the Super Bowl. I didn't expect it to take 30 minutes, but I thought we had a good conversation about overall football and how the league works. Hopefully you enjoyed it. So let's go to the phone calls. And, Dan, I don't have the call sheet up here, so well, you have to give go. me a I've second. Got, uh, oh, there right we go. Let's See? go to Dre in Atlanta first. He's go. been holding the longest. Thank you, Lance. No problem. Teamwork at its best. How we doing, Dre? Hey, what's up, John? What's hey, up, buddy? Right? What's up, Lance? How's it going? We're doing right. great. Well, John, I'm a stand true to who I am. I'm, I'm the off-season guy. <laughs> I want to <laughs> talk about uh, free agents. Corners. Sure. Go ahead. Um. And I'm looking at cost-effective and even some that may have, uh, you know, that won't hurt us in the cap. I'm looking at Bryce Callahan, who's a from who's the Bears. Good, I mean, he's, he's yeah from the Bears. He's I like a good, him. Uh, slot, Co- slot corner coming off an injury, but, by the way, a season-ending injury. Yeah, broken ankle, uh, broke I mean, broken foot, uh, fifth month metacarpal. So, which means that you, you sure it wasn't the fourth metacarpal, Dre? You sure it wasn't the fourth metacarpal? 
I'm just, I'm, you know, tarsal. You do, might have been you're doing tarsal, by the well, way. Well, I'm just, I'm, well I'm, I, I just wanted to make sure the doctor knew what he was talking about. <laughs> I, I, I didn't expect we were going to get such great details on this program. So that's why. Yeah. It's one of those. Yeah. Oh, it's one of those. Uh, he's good. Okay. Yeah, he's a he, he's a cat friendly guy. So I mean, right now he's a on a he has a on the tail end of a one point nine. I like so that one. I think be, that's a good one. I like that one. Get, right. And then uh, I'm looking at safeties. Putting somebody back there with Landon Collins once we you know we get him back in here, that probably will be serviceable. Uh, and the three names I came up with after looking at some tape was Trey Boston, Kenny Vaccario, and George um, Iloka. George uh, Iloka, the former Bengal. And Vaccaro was with the Saints for many years before he went to Tennessee for one year. I don't know whether or not Tennessee is going to aggressively look to keep him intact with their defense because obviously Mike Vrabel helped turn things around there. So that'll be interesting if he's content there. Uh, I do like the Bryce Callahan name. I I think Callahan really flourished in Chicago. Uh, They had a good secondary. They had a really strong front seven. So that's why he was able to make a name for himself. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of interest for him on the open market despite the injury. And all the safeties you threw out were pretty much veterans. Now, I I think the Giants need to ask themselves, Dre, are they at the point where you want to groom a young guy that you can build into James Betcher's system and have around for many years as opposed to renting somebody for just a season or two? Because all of those players that you mentioned, you're not giving them three- to four-year deals. Well, you're going to bring him in for maybe what, a year or two. And then, Trey, Dre, real quick, if you really want to go the veteran route and get the best free safety you can, Earl Thomas. Well, yeah, I thought about yeah. that, but I looked at money. I thought about Earl Thomas, but you know, I didn't know what kind of money he was he was asking for. That's fair. And and I, I'm looking at you know what if whatever we give him, say we give him a three year contract, is he going to honor it if he has two great years and want more money in the middle of one contract? You know, no, I think that's the I, risk I you at. take with most players, though. You know, I think I think Ronald Darby is another corner out there. He'd probably be a little bit more expensive from the Eagles, who I think is a right. is actually fits what Betcher wants to do. He's kind of that you know bump and run physical corner at the line of scrimmage. He'll probably get a lot of money. Uh, Cream Jackson from the Texans, uh, McCourty from the Patriots. Uh, there are some corners out there, but the the best market this year in free agency, Dre, is on the defensive line. I'm going to tell you another intriguing name at the corner spot that I would look into. I know he's missed the bulk of the last two seasons. Jason Verrett from the Chargers. If the Chargers don't want to bring him back, that's a name to look at. That's a high draft pick who had a lot of notoriety coming out of college. The problem is he can't stay healthy, but sometimes it's worth taking a chance with those guys. That's a name that I would give heavy consideration to. Well, I looked at Jason Ferret, but, you know, he didn't play all last year. And yeah. then, you know, I, I don't know how healthy he's going to be. You know, bring him in and he may not make it out of camp. I don't know. That's fair. Well, but it's still it's still a chance worth taking, I guess, especially if he's not yeah. going to demand big money on the open market because very few teams are going to want to invest so much in him. Correct. But to answer your earlier question, I wouldn't mind bringing in, a, you know, drafting a free safety, but still having that vet to pretty much, you know, show him – you know, how to be a professional at the position. He can still be groomed and, should, you know, still be a mentor. But how uh, uh, when we brought in Merriweather, how he was supposed to be for uh, Landon Collins. So um, that's – you take it off the air, but that's those, those are my guys. But I'll be back uh, next week with, with my uh, linebackers. Thank you, Dre. watching tape. Appreciate Thanks. it. Thank All right, you. Dre. Uh, we lost Bill in Connecticut, Dan. That's too bad. He's a new caller. Bill in Connecticut, if you want to get back on the Super Bowl, please give us a call back. I'll put you right up. If you want to get back on the line here, 201-939-4513. Ralph in Asbury Park. Ralphie. 
Hey, what's going on, guys? What up? What's happening? Nothing much. Um, I just wanted to say about the Super Bowl, because uh, Paul was trying to make a point yesterday, I think it was, and Lance disagreed with it. I want to know what John thinks. Um, do you think that the Patriots actually have a, like the route that they take like throughout the season to no, the Super Bowl? Is it like an easier route? No, I'm not. I'm not. That's... Paul, Paul made this point two weeks ago to me, and I rolled my eyes at it. Yeah. The teams in their Paul likes to try to take credit away from other teams when they win. I don't know if he thinks it helps the Giants by doing that. I don't know what his theoretically is with that. And yeah, the Patriots division isn't very good. We all know that. Guess what? They still had to win the division. They did good enough to get the bye, and they had to win three playoff games. You think that was? Do you think yeah. it was easy going into Kansas City to beat the Chiefs, the best team in football? Poppycock. Okay. Yeah. The Patriots <laughs> earned. If you win a Super Bowl. You earn every ounce of that win. One thing I've learned, Ralph, and from the outside, before I started working here with the Giants and I was working at WFAN and I thought I knew everything, I didn't know a damn thing. It is so hard to win a Super Bowl. You need luck, you need persistence, and you need more luck. And it's really, really hard. And I will never in a million years take anything away from any team that figures out a way to win a Super Bowl. It's too freaking hard, and I will never do that to any team. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Because uh, Paul was really, he was really upset about that. But anyway, yeah, he was so upset that he just wanted to change the subject. What was it? It was the, it was the division that he was annoyed about. Yeah, well, because I read him, I tweeted out Field Yates from ESPN put together an entire breakdown of the Patriots' mark, not just within the division, outside of the division. Their winning percentage is like. 10 times better than the next closest team if you look since 2001. Even outside the division? Well, yeah, so I read over those notes, and I'll, I'll bring it up again to just have you take a glance at it. And he just kept focusing on the Jets, the Dolphins, and the Bills. And I said— And by the way, the Patriots have actually lost a lot of games to the Dolphins. In Miami, which is what I brought up. Number two, I also mentioned they're still playing 10 games outside of the division, which Correct. is the majority of their schedule. Mm -hmm. So when you take all that into consideration— And the other thing is, with the parity in the league— you're not guaranteed to even beat the teams in your division. I mean, how many times do we talk about games every week? What was it? Earlier this season, the Bills played the Vikings, and I'm sure in pools where people were picking Minnesota because Buffalo had Josh Allen, a young quarterback, and then Buffalo winds up beating them up. Right. There are tons of times where games like that happen because the disparity between teams is not very large. So when you take all that into consideration, I don't think there's any easy path in the National Football League because there's so much turnover with respect to the salary cap and so forth. Here's the chart that I was referencing yesterday with respect to what Field Yates sent out in terms of the Patriots' record since 2001 against the AFC East. 782 winning percentage against everyone else, 753. And that winning percentage is the best in the NFL. 25 more non division wins than any other team. So, yeah, they're a little and then bit you better. To go down the they're list. a little bit better in the division. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, it's not even a wide margin, though. No, man. it's a Slight. point three. It's, a, it's or, literally 3%. Yeah. There's a 3% winning percentage difference. Again, I, I look. I, I get it. I, I, I don't disagree that the AFC East up, to, up and down has probably been one of the less competitive divisions in football over the last 15 years. Because of the years. instability of the quarterback. I agree with that. I'm not going to argue it. But to to think that has somehow... Like, it's not like the Patriots have just made the playoffs at 9-7. and seven with, They're the one seed every year. I mean, they get home field advantage every year. I mean, come on. I mean, no, it's, it's too much. It's too much. Yeah, and in order to do yeah, that, I, that I means they it. have to do well against the rest of the AFC and their competition Correct. outside of the division. So Correct. if you look at it from a big-picture perspective... 
Listen, everybody's entitled to their opinion. There's nothing wrong with that. But to me, the evidence proves that they've been extremely effective outside of the division as much as they've been in. So therefore, that comes with credit. And here's the other thing. If you're doing it to elevate the Giants, I actually think it hurts the Giants' case. The more impressive the Patriots look, the better it is for the Giants, the fact that they beat them twice in the Super Bowl. Yeah. So if anything, you want to do everything in your power to elevate New England. Yeah, you wouldn't want to bring it down. That, to me, makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. But uh, one more thing I wanted to say to you guys. Yeah. Uh, about the draft, and I know everything's in the trenches, and as far as O-line and D-line go, what would you guys prefer the Giants to pick at this Six at the at the number six pick. What you think is the most important, D line or O line? And I'll take my hands up there. Thank, Thank you, Ralph. You. I Hi, appreciate Ralph. the call. I would probably say, in a complete vacuum, if you had two players that were rated exactly the same, which doesn't ever happen in real life, by the way, but they were identical players. One was an offensive tackle. One was a pass rusher. I think I would take the pass rusher. Yeah, I'm with you. We're talking about both of them are pretty much even on your board. They're the, is that what you're saying? They're the identical grade. Yeah, so if the value is equivalent, Correct. then obviously the difference maker becomes impact slash need, and to me, the edge goes to pass rusher. To me, having somebody to compliment Olivier Vernon is the biggest priority this offseason for the Giants. And if we I were rank that as the biggest thing. And if we were last year and they didn't have Nate Solder, I would have said left tackle. Yeah, that's fair. Absolutely. But since they got Solder, and I think right tackles come a little bit cheaper in free agency, just a little bit, and they're a little bit easier to find, though I think that's changing very quickly in the National Football League. People are realizing that most of the time the right tackle is facing a better pass rusher than the left tackle. Um, that's why I would go pass rusher. But if this was two years ago and they didn't have Solder yet, then I would, I would have taken the left tackle. But I will say this. If the Giants go out in free agency, John, and they sign a pass rusher, and I'm not saying that they're going to sign an elite pass rusher, but let's say they sign a guy that's got good starting experience, I would still say at six, I'd still take a pass rusher because I think you cannot have enough depth at that position. And that's something that has also hurt the Giants, especially when guys go down via injury. So, you, so if they spend... If they sign, like, one of the big, big money guys... Well, I don't know if i go that And they far. still have Olivier Vernon on the roster, I'll disagree. If they sign a Kareem Martinish, Yeah, I, I guess guy, that's where I was going. Then I would still... I'm with you. I would still pick the pass rush. I, 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 don't don't think, think I, don't think, I don't think they do that. I think they have enough depth guys at edge with Kareem Martin and Lorenzo Carter, the young guy. I think if they make the splash at edge, they would make the splash at edge. So they would go all out, in your opinion? Yes, that they would bring would in think a legitimate. You know what though? I take it back. If, if 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 they see a guy that can help and you know play forty to fifty snaps a game, and they think he's a good fit, I th I think they'd sign him. I take that back. I, I haven't really thought about that much. So well, I'm just looking at. it I apologize from for changing my mind. A on depth there. perspective. <laughs> no, that's fine. I I don't think you can ever have enough. And you know, the Giants with the injuries that Vernon has dealt with over the last two seasons and you know he goes down, you want to have somebody else reliable in addition to somebody opposite him. And that's why I, I think they want to beef that area of the team up. And if you could do it in free agency and the draft combined, then I'm all for that game plan. I think that helps their case. I, I, I said this, the Patriots and the Giants had the same amount of sacks this season, John. They were both at the bottom of the barrel. But New England, something clicked towards the latter part of the season into the playoffs. Yeah. And when you do that and you're able to rotate personnel like they did, it does wonders for your team. Well, remember, they also have an excellent secondary player personnel-wise. So they're able to, I think, 
blitz and bring pressure more freely, which is what I think we saw more in the playoffs, because they can trust their guys to, to cover in the back end. That's so, fair. Yeah. I think With now Gilmore is a Gilmore and McCourty and, and all those other guys. Yeah, I mean, Gilmore is one of the top corners in the league that people don't talk about. And Patrick Chung is really, he's a good player. Uh, they overcame that in the Super Bowl too, by the way. But the both McCourty's are good players. Harmon. Yeah, Harmon's a good backup safety. They have guys that can play back there. Oh, good. Bill in Connecticut called back. Let's get him up next. Billy! Hey, how you doing? What's up, buddy? Yeah, you know, when I watch the game, uh, you know, the Giants, they talk tight end uh, offense. How come during the game, on LA side, there's like, where's the tight end? Where is he? Is he there? Is he playing the game? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, he, he, he has to be out there. He has to give Belichick another dimension to see. Not these running backs or wide receivers going out. A tight, a di- you know, a dy- dynamic tight end is what every every championship team should have. And I didn't see nothing like that. I didn't see any tight end. You're talking about from the Patriots' perspective? No, I'm talking about the, the Rams. The well, Rams the, the Rams no have had a bunch of young there. tight ends. That's what they've been utilizing I mean, the no, entire season. Tight end participation. I mean, going out there and for the Patriots to worry about, you know, big tight end out there. There's, like, nothing there. Well, I mean, once again, if you look at the Rams roster, to your point, I don't think they have a guy like Gronkowski. So, I mean, that's impossible to throw out there. No, I ain't talking like that, but, you know, when you go to the Giants, every team should have a a tight end that can get out there that you have to worry about. I didn't see any tight end on any pass. Well, Tyler Hickey had a good game. That I remember. He had a good year, Tyler. I mean, look. Well, that's what I said. They have young guys. Gerald Everett, Mm -hmm. they've got a pair of young tight ends. That are not necessarily yeah, did, Zach Ertz. Did they have any receptions in the game? No, they did not. Yeah, that's that's what you maybe they're lacking. That's why that aspect of the game was gone, and they can just concentrate on something else. Hey, look, I, I just think the Patriots did a great job shutting everything they wanted to do down in the passing yeah, game. Yeah, but they didn't have a, a tight end. That no, but the point is that during during the year, those guys were productive, though. Well, where were they? Like I said, the Patriots did a good job yeah, shutting them down. There gotta, are two teams out yeah, there. you got to give credit to the defense and also Jared Goff yeah, not having enough that, time yeah. to well, look I, over the middle okay. of the field and make First plays. First of all, there was, was there any, any tight ends get any receptions in the game? No, we've already gone over that. They haven't. Yeah. To me, that's my opinion why there was a lack of the offense right there. They, they didn't have that extra. Yeah, but the, the counter to that is... Is that because the Rams went into the game saying we're not going to utilize the tight ends, or the Patriots went into the game and executed to perfection, taking away the tight ends? Do you understand? I could be Sean McVay and say, Higby and Everett, we got plays for you guys. And then the defense goes out there, the plays are not there to be made. So is it on the Rams coaching staff, or do you got to give credit to the Patriots defense? Well, if you want to give them like one, almost like a one-dimensional game for offense, that's what you get. If you if you you have a Gronkowski on your team, or not like a Gronkowski, but you have an, another guy like that, then get over the middle. Then you have to worry about that guy. Yeah, no, but, no, but you, you're assuming guy. no, but you're yeah. assuming that the Patriots didn't worry about the tight ends, and the Rams decided not to throw it to them. We don't know if that's well, the that's case. Probably right because the, the Rams were thrown to them. No, but, well, but Bill, Bill, thanks for the call, man. We appreciate it. <laughs> thank right, thank, thank you for the call. All right. <laughs> 
It's the chicken and the egg, you see. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> it, did the Patriots not pay attention to tight ends and that's why they didn't get any balls? Or did the Patriots pay attention to him and that's no. why they didn't get any balls? I don't know what the Patriots game plan was. No. Uh, I mean, and again, I, I don't think Lance and I are making the armor that Higby and Everett are on the level of Gronkowski or Travis Kelsey or Jimmy Graham no, or I don't even Evan Ingram. Either, no, yeah. they're not on that level. But they certainly used the tight ends to effect over the course of the year. I mean, they were an 11 personnel a ton. They had tight ends on the field. And again, they're not stars. And would they have liked to get the tight ends involved over the course of the game? Sure. But I hate to tell you, it's not like the Rams could do whatever they want during the game. <laughs> they, they had trouble completing passes to anybody, not just the tight ends. Yeah. You know what? It reminds me of this last conversation when fans watch a game, they're disappointed in the offensive production or the lack thereof, I should say. And then immediately the conversation goes into. Coaches have no idea what the hell they're doing. The play calling stinks. Are we going to decide or talk about the fact that there's another team on the opposite <laughs> end of the field that may have done things to take away right. from the execution level of the opposing offense? And maybe it was great play calling, but the bottom line is plays weren't there to be made or or the gaps closed up at the last second. I, I think you got to look at it through that lens as opposed to just saying, how could they not target the tight ends? And I'm actually I'm bringing up the postseason numbers right now in terms of the tight ends. Higby had six receptions over three games, eight targets, and Everett had seven targets over three games, two catches. So we're talking about 15 targets for both tight ends in three games. Yeah, but if you take away the Super Bowl then, heading into the Super Bowl, they had those same numbers over two That's games. That's fair. Yeah, two games, yeah, because they didn't get anything right. in this uh, last game. So for the first two games, they were clearly much more involved. I remember actually uh, Everett making a few plays against the Saints, off the top of my head, which helped move the chains. And again, we're not saying these guys are stars, but they they the they were at least they were involved. The Rams rather certainly know how to utilize their tight end now, in their offense. No question. In fairness, just out of curiosity, as a comparison in the regular season, let's see where the tight ends ranked. You had Everett had thirty three receptions on fifty targets, so that put him one, two, three, four. That put him fifth on the team in receptions, and Higby was right behind him at 24 receptions on 34 targets. So they were 5th and 7th because Josh Reynolds had more catches than Higby, and respectively, on the team. And Salmon did a good job with the uh, plays here in terms of number of snaps in the Super Bowl. Everett played 44 offensive snaps. Higby played 35. So they were on the field a ton. Yeah, they were right there. I mean, that would have put them 4th and 5th, respectively, mm -hmm. on the team, which is right where they were. Among receivers. With respect to the regular season. So the usage didn't dip. It was just the Patriots did a nice job taking them out of the game plan. Right. And again, the Rams are trouble doing anything. It's not like yeah. it's not like they were like, you know, hitting, you know, Brendan Cooks left and right here. You know what I mean? They ran a handoff to Robert Woods out of the backfield, and New England said, you think that's catching us off guard? And then I think he picked up five yards. So, I mean, they were trying to move personnel around, and New England was extremely well-disciplined. They did not allow the Rams to have that back-breaking, game-changing play, which is what the Rams did all throughout the regular season. And when you prevent that, yeah, you're going to make a prolific offense look basically mediocre, middle of the pack, and that's exactly what New England did. You know, over the course of the season, Tyler Higby played in 71% of the offensive snaps and ever played on 34% of the offensive snaps. So... Plenty of snaps. 201-939-4513. Good job, Danny Salmon, getting those numbers. Maintaining his position as top call screener and producer on Big Blue Kickoff. Yeah, it's not even close as far as I'm concerned in this program. Well, we all lose at the bottom after yesterday's debacle. <laughs> <laughs> we won't mention anything. Oh, we love you yeah. to death, Matt. It's okay. I'm just teasing you. Let's go to Charlie in Portland, Maine. He's up next. What's up, Charlie? Hey, guys. <clears throat> hey, I think I think what that last caller was trying to say, to I don't think Bell 
I don't think Belichick went into the game plan saying we got to take out their tight ends. That is our first priority. No, I, I think, think that's fair. That I think either. that's yeah. fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, so that's what he's trying to say. He says, no, the priority was take out Cooks, take out, you know, whatever, not the tight end. So, you know, that's why he's saying why didn't they get well, – I'll tell you one well, thing. Charlie, I didn't even honestly, watch the game. Oh, I didn't watch the game. I recorded it. I didn't want to see it. I don't want to see the Patriots. But I didn't watch the game. So Charlie's breaking understand. the game down for us, and he, <laughs> he didn't even watch watched the damn snap, thing. Yeah. Well, that is Charlie in a nutshell. That's Charlie's in a nutshell. I absolutely. didn't watch the game, but here's what happened. 100%. <laughs> no, He's got I, all the answers. I, I didn't he didn't watch, watch the game, but I saw highlights of Oh, it. oh, oh that tells the whole story. Everything. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all those highlights of Higby and Everett and how they were manned up or they were wide open in the middle of the field, and you were pointing. What was God thinking? Yeah, of course. No, but what I'm saying, he has a point. That's the point he was trying to make. Yeah. But the other thing is I don't understand is oh, why boy. they didn't utilize Gurley. Why yeah, well, that's they didn't fair. run him. Why they didn't use him as a pass receiver. I, that The guy is the, one of the best running backs in the league. With yeah. Barkley. Well, we were talking about that. Charlie, and, and that's why I asked Lance the question because other people have asked me that question the last couple of days and I don't have a great answer for him. But something right. was up. I, I don't know what it was, but something's up with him because he clearly... Once he got back from that two-game absence, he was never the same. They kept using C.J. Anderson, who's a guy off the street. And it's especially using him in the, in the pass game. That's what confuses me. Um, I get you look like the way C.J. Anderson is running the ball, fine, whatever. I don't like it, but I get it. But he was such a big part of their passing game, and he just right. wasn't utilized that way. It was very odd. And it's a security he blanket was in the doghouse, or he had an injury that... Just was really more yeah, worse. Than I think it was a saying. lingering knee injury where he just was not 100. percent But we'll see if he has off-season surgery now. That yeah, that'll well, be a big thing. It will be, but even if he doesn't have surgery, it still could have been a lingering knee injury. Well, 100 well, percent rest and Correct. so forth. So. But but I think if he does have the surgery, you know there was a problem. If he doesn't, there still could have been, but you don't know for sure. Yeah, and I know Gurley was asked after the game, and he denied having any injury. But let's put it this way: Are you really going to use that as an excuse no, immediately after he, losing the game? Absolutely. No player in their right mind, especially when that. for a month him and his head coach have been telling the world that Correct. he's fine. You're not going to now change the narrative Correct. right after the game. He's oh, by the way, I stunk. I was hurt. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Did anybody ask McVee why he didn't utilize him in the past? I don't know. I, I thought a few people asked McVeigh instead of McVee, but you know, no, you're the king okay, of games. McVay. So, yeah, yeah, Did okay. they ask him that? Makes no difference. I, don't, I didn't watch the entire press conference in fairness. So, no, I mean, look, so they, Charlie, they, unlike you, I don't comment on things that I haven't seen. Look, but, but look, <laughs> you're, you're a maven when it comes to that. So. Thank you, Charlie. We yeah. got to run, pal. Wait, no, 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 please. Let, he's got tremendous more insight that I want to hear. I got one, yeah. one more thing. Oh, yeah. come on. I I'm dying to hear this. I congratulate Eli Manning for naming his son Charlie. Uh, yeah. It was, I'm so honored. That I'm sure he you were the inspiration, yes. And it just, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be so well for that. For his son, and I have Eli's back, and he has mine, and that's no coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thank no, you, Charlie. I, I said this on Twitter. I'll repeat uh, it now. Nothing spells out having Eli Manning's back than recommending that the Giants sign an offensive lineman that appeared in one game over the last two seasons. But yes, whatever suits Charlie's now. I, I buy the fact that Charlie's Eli's back. My favorite part of that, Charlie, that Eli has my back. That was my favorite one. <laughs> Eli's at home saying, "You know who I got in a tough spot. You know who I'm going to go bail out." That Charlie in Portland, oh, Maine. absolutely, yeah. That's my guy. Because in between his studying of film, Eli makes sure that he watches every single edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. So he's well aware of the insight that Charlie brings to the program. It was perfect timing, by the way, that he followed that last caller so that he could translate. <laughs> the last I, mean, I didn't watch the game, but here's what better. happened. Yes.
One hundred percent. Boy, you know, I'm glad we didn't ask him, but I have a feeling that Charlie did did not watch the game because he's one of those fans that for some reason hates the Patriots and can't stand them. Well, you know which what? Is, I don't understand that at I, all. I get it. If you live up there and you're oh, around them that. all he the is time, from that New I, I get okay. that. I get right. that. I get it. And I understand fans that are just want to see a different team in there too, and they're tired of seeing the same team every year. I get that too. I understand that. And you just want to see a, a change, and you're tired of looking at Brady and Belichick. I get that part of it. I get it. And look, they have been penalized by the NFL for cheating. I get that too. From a giant fan's fans perspective, though, it shouldn't be personal. You know, it's not like Patriot fans went out there and the Patriots beat the Giants in these big spots. You know, it was the opposite. So there's yeah. no reason for Giant fans to hate the Patriots because of that. But if you're tired of seeing them and you want to see somebody different and you don't like the Spygate stuff, I get it. I get that part of it. You can understand that, right? Yeah, I guess I can. I mean, I guess I can understand it from the big picture perspective. I guess specifically Giants fans, I don't understand why they would hate the Patriots. There should not the be Giants a, have had the Patriots number. There should not it's be like, a singularly Giants reason yeah, why you don't. That like them. that I guess is more of what I don't Especially get. Especially since Belichick's a former Giant. Well, and that was the reason. It, it's funny because on one of our recent factor fictions, Dan Salamone, one of the questions and statements rather that he developed was. Whether or not Giants fans are justified, if you recall, in hating the Patriots. Now we got to. Now we. we, we yeah. I completely said they're not justified. Correct. I think that's fair. Now I think we need to give Dan credit for he's had some good questions on those factor fictions, but it gets tough now though, because yes, he can't now play off of things that are happening in the playoffs, which is really it makes January a little bit easier for us because we can kind of play off things that are happening in the league. New coaches get hired, things get changed. Until the combine, the next three weeks, it's going to be rough. Well, that's why they pay him the mediocre bucks. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, we got uh, we got two more calls. Oh, I mean, this is I got this one right at least. Did, did Lance get this one right? Okay, oh, Lance no, got I, it wrong. Yeah, I was completely okay. wrong. I'll, I'll be this, this is the fact oh, of oh, fiction so from last week. this is what we're going to do now on this program. Yeah, apparently, yes, we are. We're going to revisit our fact of fiction answers. So, fact of fiction yeah. from last oh, week. this is going to be fantastic. The Patriots and Rams yeah. will combine to score more than 53 points. <laughs> Dan and I both correctly said fiction. Okay. Now, again, I, I predicted they, they'd score 51, so I can't oh, take wow. too much yeah. credit. Yeah. Hey, I, I don't have to admit that. You didn't remember being honest. And uh, But Lance said it'll be over. So Yeah, well, and I went based on the trends and the mathematics, and I, first of all— was not very confident in the Rams' defense. I think they've been very up and down. And I think, once again, this was their best performance. Just like if you told yeah. me, by the way, going into that Indianapolis-Kansas City playoff game when the Chiefs played their best defensive performance, yeah. I was wrong in reading that game, too, because I never thought Kansas City would dismantle Indianapolis so easily. Now, I will pat my back for one thing. I did, and I wrote this, and I said it on the air last week to Feagles. I really liked the Patriots and Belichick and Flores and their defense against the Rams' offense. I thought... That was a matchup that would work. I thought that they would figure out a little bit what the Rams were going to do. And lo and behold, for once, I was actually right about something. I didn't like, though, Wade Phillips against Brady. I thought Brady would... Because, you know, Wade Phillips was at this a long time. There's so much tape on what he does that I thought they'd pick him apart a little bit. But give Wade Phillips a lot of credit. He was mixing up his coverages. He was blitzing. He was playing man. He was playing zone. And Brady in that first half, I'm not going to say he looked confused... But you don't see Brady throw an interception like the interception he threw where he had a bad pre-snap Zone read. man-to-man. And that yeah. tells me that they were disguising what they were doing very well. And Tony Romo, I thought, did a good job talking about that over the course of the first half. So 
I thought Wade Phillips in the first half did a really good job. Well, and keep this in mind before we get back to the Lions. Remember, John, Wade Phillips was the defensive coordinator of the Broncos when they beat the living crap out of Brady in that AFC Championship game in Denver. 17 quarterback hits on Tom Brady in that game. So he's had a decent track record against the guy under center in New England. All right, let's go to Tron because we lost him last week in Columbia and we didn't get him on. I want to make sure we get to him now. Tron, what's up? Hey, what's going on, man? What's up, buddy? Hey, I thought you were going to get my uh, my sound drop when I called, man. Ah, you, you know what? You know, Tron, I didn't I didn't get it onto the thing yet. What I want to do, I want to get the old Tron video game like oh, yeah. sound effect for him. I haven't done it yet. Sorry, Tron. Next time. <laughs> nah, it's cool. Hey, so look. I have an um, I have an idea to solve the uh the problem of the horrendous no call in the Saints game. Okay. Oh wow. Okay, you have a solution. Let's listen. What do yeah. you got? So Lance loves talking about missed calls. Hear so. me out and tell me uh, if it's a realistic idea. Or not, sure. Right? Listening. What do you got? All right. So you give every coach one blue flag per game. It can be thrown at any time during the game as long as you have a timeout. Okay. To, um, whether it's the second quarter or the fourth quarter, and it's only one flag, so a coach has to use it sparingly. Um, it's it can be used to you know challenge a no call, <clears throat> you know before the next snap. If you lose it, you lose a timeout. So you're working it into the challenge system essentially. I mean, right now, Sean, yeah. I, I got a question for you. If you get it right, do you get to do it again, or are you done no matter what? If the the the, the call the uh the 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 call will be basically um you know. Endorse, like you know. No, no, no. I understand well, yeah, that. No, but no, no, my point, whatever. like, if if the coach is correct and they change the call, would the coach get the blue flag back because they got it right, or would they no. only have the one and that's it? No, just one. Okay, just yeah. one. I so, mean, because that that you giving they could use it again. You know that that that, that to me. That would make the game, you know. No, that's uh, fair. Well, I mean, you're taking a page out of the Canadian Football League. And I brought <laughs> that's that up. No, the CFL. Well, I, I love because it. Because I brought it up on the show. It's relevant. The CFL adopted <laughs> expanding replay for judgment calls and worked it into the challenge system, but you can only use one challenge. So what Tron laid out is pretty much what the CFL is already Now, Tron, if you got it, now how about this? I'm going to add something to you. If, mm-hmm. if you get it wrong, do you lose one of your – other two total challenges as well, or are you going to count this as a completely separate deal? I, I would, I would say as a, as a separate deal. Okay. You know, so um, in addition, so your you're basically giving teams another challenge. You got to have the timeout to use it, but your timeout is gone. Okay. Now, if you really want to make coaches think about doing it, you can also take away a general challenge too. If you really want to make this, you know, be real careful about using this thing. So I think that's it, Tron. I think if you're going to do it and you want to limit it. And it's tough with no calls that that and 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 we've talked about that. I think a good first step is the type of system that you put out there. I, I think it makes sense. I think it's logical, and I think that's a very good addition. Yeah, I mean, because I um, you know, I can think of uh, two occasions Sherman could have um, yeah, thrown a flag on on, on passing the chance on. Uh, I think you Odell could come up Jeff, with an example you know? for every coach. Absolutely, yeah. sure. I mean, if you go back two years, remember the remember the pass interference they didn't call against the Eagles on Sterling Shepard. At the end of that game, when the guy yeah, basically pulled right, both his right, arms down, yeah. it's something like that, right? And there was one against Odell Beckham in the end zone. Wasn't that the Philly game? Yeah, I'm I think correct so. this year mm-hmm. in Philly. Yeah, right. All right, okay. Tron. Good call, man. We appreciate it. All right, man. I'll talk to you. Good stuff. Right. That's a good call from Tron. It's a good bounce back from Charlie. <laughs> Anything's a good bounce back from Charlie. All right, Brendan in New Jersey is going to wrap us up. Brendan, thanks for hanging with us. What's up, pal? 
Hey, what's going on, man? What's up? All right, I think the Super Bowl was a good game. Um, I feel as though that um, that's the reason why uh, it's so good that we're fortunate to have a veteran quarterback as far as like Eli Manning because I figured that we could have made the adjustments that we needed to do to win that game probably. Now, you know, but now with that being said, now coming up in the draft, now if we decide to keep Eli, everybody want to say, all right, we keep Eli and we groom a quarterback. I just believe that just is not going to work in New York, being the fact that, say, if we start off slow again, they're going to be calling for the rookie to get in there. We, we, I just don't think we need to put that type of pressure on Eli and um, basically just having him warm seat up. So if we just want to go with it, uh, and that's why I said, like, the experience in the Super Bowl is, is, is critical, you know what I mean, to make the type of adjustments. Like, every quarterback can't do that. Now, maybe if golf get back there in a few years, maybe he could, he'll could win that game and make the adjustments he needs to do. But I figure if we're going to keep Eli, I figure we shouldn't draft no quarterback in the first round. And the fact that, yeah, it worked in other markets, but it just can't work Well, in Brendan, New York. I'm very happy that you added that caveat at the end. Wouldn't draft a quarterback in the first round. But if they drafted somebody in the second round as more as a developmental guy, would you be okay with that guy being groomed behind Eli for a year? If if he's good enough to potentially be a starter, but well, of we course, that of course, before right. and that didn't work, so I don't think Gettleman will probably take that route again if he feels though a quarterback is not worth taking in the second round. I believe we got way more needs than within a quarterback. I feel as though that we could ride with Eli for at least another two, three years. Look, Brendan, I'm and with you. I, I agree. I think if you're going to take the quarterback, take the guy. If, if you believe in a guy early, pick him early. I do think it can get dicey after the first round. I agree and, with you on that. that. But if you, pick, if you pick a guy early, I feel as though that you, I don't bring Eli back because you basically tell him that the quarterback is going to soon start, rather we start playing good or not. Well, but first of all, if the Giants do if the Giants do draft a quarterback in the first round, Brendan, I'm sure that they're going to lay that scenario yeah. out to Eli Manning before they even go down that road. And I think Eli would have to be on board with yeah, it. Yeah, correct. It, you wouldn't all of a sudden right. throw that out there. So he would understand that. And here's the other thing. It's not the equivalency, but... We went through an entire season, Brendan, where, yes, Kyle Loletta was not a high draft pick, but every seasons. week. Well, yeah, this, even the season before. And fans are calling for Eli's head and wanting him replaced. So, <laughs> so to, to my point is, a good point. it doesn't really matter it's whether you point. draft a quarterback in the seventh round, the fifth round. If fans are unhappy with the current quarterback, they're going to be calling for his ouster regardless. Yeah, Brandon, Lance makes a good point. Honestly, yeah. e e e e Lance, Brandon, e even if the Giants don't draft somebody this year— and he got Loletta sitting there in his second year. Yeah. Guess what? Week four, we're going to get calls about Loletta anyway. There might not be as many, and it might not be as widespread, but we're still getting the calls. But I, I totally get where you're coming from, and you want to avoid the drama. And trust me, as the two people that have to take the phone calls, we appreciate your goals. We <laughs> love your goals. But um, I don't know what Gettleman's thinking. Yes. I just want to say one more thing. Go ahead. Right, yeah, you're right about that. Because we don't need all that drama in the season again. Because that's what it's all about. We've got to stick together as a team. And that's the only way you could get to even the playoffs or even thinking about getting to the Super Bowl. Everybody got to be on board of what's going on right then and there. So I feel as though that's why we don't need that type of drama. I feel as though all we need is a right tackle. We need to two more. It's, it sounds like a lot, but we could get it accomplished. Like I called up and said it is before. a lot. <laughs> a, right, a right tackle, a right tackle. Maybe a center because we don't know what Jalapio going to come back and look like. And I feel as though maybe he, he could be a backup anyway. Mm -hmm. So 
probably get a, a, a right tackle, a center, a free safety. We need at least two more corners. And um, well, how many pass rushers <laughs> you want? <laughs> two pass rushers still? No, I mean, and I, I feel it's only ten guys. This season, and you know, just gotta have the mindset of uh, oh, linebacker. What you want to do that it's all about what's going, what you're going to do in the first round. And a quarterback. So if you if you're going to do take the quarterback in the first round, so though don't bring Eli back. All right, Brendan, we got to run, man. Right, We're Brandon. past one o'clock. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Uh, uh, and it does sound like a lot because it is. <laughs> We're revamping a whole team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, look, we only need two corners. We need maybe two pass rushers, maybe a safety. Um, <laughs> you know, you could use a couple offensive linemen, only and, two or three. And no drama, by the way. I'll tell you that too. <laughs> no, no, All look, that done and no drama. Look, I, I yeah. Brendan, all jokes aside, good phone call. And, yeah. and, and what you said made sense. Um, trust me, I, I get. Why, as a fan, if you use the sixth pick on a quarterback, you just want to say, you know what, you're using the sixth pick on the quarterback, let the kid play. I get that. But I also get, from the Giants' perspective, that if, say, that guy you pick six is Dwayne Haskins, he's played one season of college football as a starter. Maybe they don't think he's ready. Maybe they think he needs seasoning. And I'll tell you one other thing. Dave Gettleman could not give two you-know-whats about noise. Oh, he doesn't care. He is going to do what he thinks is right. And if that means the beat writers writing stories every week, and again, it's not their fault. They're being asked to do it by the editors about who's starting at quarterback this week. He's going to be, I don't care. You have Dan Salamone flaming controversy on Giants.com about the score about the starter quarterback, yeah. which, by the way, is is, is not happening. But <laughs> give him a hard time. Um, so be it. Gettleman's not going to care, and they're going to do what they think is best for the quarterback position and for the franchise. Well, and that's it. And I'm not saying it's the equivalency of Eli Manning here, because you could argue Eli is a little bit later on in his career. But let's not forget the Chargers. With the Eli year, they drafted Phillip Rivers through that trade. And, and Drew, Brees. Drew Brees hung around for two more years. John, yeah. w- was anybody worried about, oh my God, how's Drew going to perform his duties as quarterback? Brett Favre was in Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers was a late first round pick. And was anybody asking, oh my God, how's Brett Favre going to do his duties as a quarterback? And we talked to Paul Schwartz, who wrote that article recently, and he referenced Kansas City, which is, I think, another good example. And Alex Smith and the Chiefs put together a winning campaign and made the playoffs. And Patrick Mahomes was sitting right behind him and even started the final game of the season. But the only reason he started is because Kansas City already locked up its playoff spot. So there's multiple examples that I just laid out where a quarterback was taken high or low in the first round. The expectation was that was going to be the successor. And the individual who was currently holding foot under center was perfectly fine. So I I think way too much is made up of that in terms of fan chatter and media narratives, and it doesn't really lead to a lot of stock and substance in breaking apart a team. The show is brought to you by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prize. Lance, good conversation. Good show. Absolutely. Good stuff. Tomorrow it will be Detino and I, and then Lance and Detino are back on Thursday. Is that true or am I wrong about that? How about we switch that again? How How about we give you an opportunity to... You Redo always that. well. You always you always do Thursdays. Did you switch well, this week? I'm doing Wednesday this okay. week. Okay, unless you change the schedule. I did me. not. No. Okay. I did not. 
we want to clarify that again. I will be on hey. the program tomorrow. Okay. So you're you're Detino or me tomorrow? That's <laughs> <laughs> Detino and I okay. tomorrow. You are Thursday with Detino. I'm here yeah. anyway. That's what it really doesn't matter. Yeah, to me, I folks. mean it really doesn't make a difference. No. Yes. All right. So tomorrow it's Detino and Lance, and then on Thursday it's me and Detino, and then I know it's me and Fegels on Friday. That I, I know think for you're sure. right on that, but I would not hold his word. No, I would not either. Bank. I will tell you that, people. Go to my office and check the schedule. All right, poor Lance Metal. I'm Josh Rock. That's your joining us. Good calls. Very good calls today, folks. We had a lot of fun. Good uh, informative stuff here on the phones. We'll see you tomorrow on Giants.com for another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a great day. Have a good one.